0: good i'm most impressed with that that was good it's very nice good morning everybody i'm glad that you're all here so i'm glad you all got the memo about the one service today few people didn't get that memo today so keep in mind before i forget to tell you where it's a unified service again next week so come and be part of that at 11 o'clock i know that you will Enjoy being here. Rebecca is going to be preaching next Sunday morning, and Rebecca is the only really good preacher I know who gets nervous, real nervous doing it. So come and support her next week when she does this, and don't tell her I said that. (laughs) I would like to be in one piece by the time I get back from vacation. We are going to Seattle tomorrow and going to spend time. We're having our entire family together for Thanksgiving this year. It's the first time we've done that in years, and so. We're looking forward to being together as we do that and I hope you are looking forward to the Thanksgiving season and all that it brings. If this is your first time with us, welcome. We are glad that you are here. There should be a connect card in the pew rack in front of you. If you'll fill that out and let us know that you've been here, we would appreciate that. If you have prayer concerns or issues going on in your life that you want us to know about, write it on that same card, drop it in the offering plate. And we'll try our best to respond to that. If it's something you don't want to write on a card, come and tell us after the service and we'll still respond to it. If you're joining us via live stream, welcome. We're glad that you are here as well. Go to the address you'll see on the screen and do everything I've just said and we'll, except dropping it in the offering plate. It's a little hard to do that. But we'll be glad to respond to whatever you have going on. And We're glad that you are joining us. We are glad that you are here today. Today is a day that our Lord has made for us as a gift, and it is a gift for which we can be thankful. And so let's remember to to unite our hearts together in thanks as we gather here today. One of the things that we can be thankful for is the opportunity to be a missional people. Tish is going to come and talk to us about a mission we're going to be doing right away.
1: Good morning, folks. Um, For the past 20-some years, maybe a little... um, we have done a project called christmas food baskets Um, when we do this get a list from social services Um, we get a list from warm earth and we have people call the church that are in need of food during the christmas holidays well throughout the whole year matter of fact and what we used to do before COVID hit we went to brian graves warehouse food boxes and it was a big project. With COVID hit, we had to scale it down and we've just done gift cards the last two years. This year, we want to do a hybrid. Uh, we want to hand deliver a box of food. <laughs> you can lift it, it's not heavy. I can lift it, you can lift it. Um, we want to do a hybrid and take a box of food and also give them a gift card. We need your help to do this. Um, We need packers and deliverers. We're gonna do it on Saturday morning, December 16th. We're gonna start about nine o'clock. We're gonna do it here in the fellowship hall. And Brian is gonna show us how to pack the box to where it's easy for us to lift. We're gonna have the box with the handles to make it easier. And if you think it's too heavy, we'll have additional boxes. But we also need your financial support. We're going to uh, help 116 families this year. Um, So we need your financial support as well as your muscles. Um, So if you could give, you can do it online through the church website. You can write a check. Just make sure that you put Christmas food baskets on the memo line. We appreciate your support and keep this project going. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Tish. It's a good project. It's one that we've been doing for years, and we hope everybody will take part in it. But well, you could have left that there, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. You didn't have to. You didn't have to take it with you. And I guess you're gonna got to have lunch somewhere, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> It's the Thanksgiving season. Join me in our litany of gratitude and hope. You have blessed us well, mighty God. If we are honest with ourselves, our list of blessings would be too long to name. Lord, too often we walk through our days without giving you much thought at all. Lord too often we have more faith in ourselves than we do in the God that gave us life. You have blessed us with your grace and confidence even when we have neglected you. From you comes the blessings of true life. May we be grateful for all we have. Jesus Holy God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for all of the blessings of life. We thank you that even in difficult times you are there with us and you stand close to give us the strength and the power and the confidence to keep moving forward even in the midst of difficulty. Help us to know you well as we gather here today. And help us to be thankful for all that we have, especially the gift of life and the gift of our families. Watch over us and bless us and help us to worship you as we gather here. For it is in your name we offer our prayer. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Oh. many things to be thankful for as we gather in this place today. In a moment of silence let's think about the blessings that we have within our lives and the things that we have to be grateful for and then I'll close our prayer. Let's pray together. the beauty of our earth for the greatness that is our God we come to this place to give thanks today sometimes we have no idea how blessed we truly are we have no idea how many times O Lord you have intervened into our lives with grace when we did not even recognize that you were nearby we have no idea how many blessings have come our way that we never understood because we were not fully in tune with you or just because you decided to step near our lives and step into our lives and make a difference for us we thank you O Lord that you are a God who is always there and who is with us who loves us and who cares about us who believes in us in our daily lives and even when you are disappointed with the choices that we have made you have promised that you would never leave us nor forsake us it takes a great merciful and understanding God to be the kind of God that would be with us even in our worst of times even in the times when the worst that has come our way has been of our choosing we thank you O Lord that you love us even when we are not thinking about you we thank you that you have promised to always be near us even in the struggles of life today we have come to you knowing very well that not everything is perfect in life. Not every choice that people make is a good choice. And sometimes those choices can break our hearts and it can, can hurt us to the core of our being. You have promised that you would never be the one who would be the author of such choices. But that even in the midst of whatever comes our way, you will be there and you will hold us close. Thank you, O oh God, for being that kind of God. Help us to be thankful for the blessings of life, for our families that we cherish, for our friends that we would not want to ever live without, for a church that that shows your love to the world day in and day out, for a place where we can come and worship, for a place that we can come and learn, for a place that we can come and serve and make a difference for you. We thank you, O God, for the opportunities that come with being the people of God. We thank you for so many things as we come gather here. And we ask you, Lord, to be near us each day that we live, to help us to experience you, to help us to look for your blessings, to look for your grace, and, and, to, and to be grateful for what has come our way and to be grateful that even in the difficult times we have learned from you and we have become A better person for having learned the lessons of life help us O God to be that kind of follower to be that kind of disciple and on the days that we get it right celebrate with us on the days that we get it wrong remind us of who we are that we might be better this is the day that the Lord has made help us to rejoice and be glad in it and help us to learn the lessons that your first disciples learned as you taught them to pray our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses give thanks for a lot of things as we gather here today one thing we give thanks for is that charlotte is still around she thank you for filling in on the piano this morning that was very very helpful this past week um mike and 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 uh rebecca and i went to the annual meeting of our denomination and we were almost in richmond when it occurred to us that both tim and mandy were also out of town and so we called back and had Daniel, told Daniel, said, call Charlotte and tell her she's it. <laughs> Rebecca said, Well, isn't Charlotte retired? I said, She is, unless we need her, and now she's not. <laughs> but we had we wanted to make sure somebody was covering things, and so Re- Charlotte was it, and we're thankful that you were. We'll probably do that every few days. <laughs> it's God's will. <laughs> Our scripture today comes from the book of Joshua, chapter 3, beginning with verse 14 and going through chapter 4, verse 7. So the people, and let me say before I read this, that uh, the Israelites have just reached the promised land. They are about to cross over into the promised land, and, and God is about to give them instructions in that. Hear these words. So the people left their camp to cross the Jordan, and the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. It was the harvest season, and the Jordan was overflowing its banks. But as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the ark touched the water at the river's edge, the water above that point began backing up a great distance away at a town called Adam, which is near Zarathun. I always mess that up. And the water below that point flowed on to the Dead Sea until the riverbed was dry. Then all the people crossed over near the town of Jericho. Meanwhile, the priests who were carrying the ark of the Lord's covenant stood on dry ground in the middle of the riverbed as the people passed by, and they waited there until the whole nation of Israel had crossed the Jordan on dry ground. When all of the people had crossed the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Now choose twelve men, one from each tribe. Tell them, Take 12 stones from the very place where the priests are standing in the middle of the Jordan. Carry them out and pile them up at the place where you will camp tonight. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had chosen, one from each of the tribes of Israel. And he told them, Go into the middle of the Jordan in front of the ark of the covenant of your God. Each of you must pick up one stone and carry it out on your shoulder, 12 stones in all, one for each of the twelve tribes of Israel. We will use these stones to build a memorial. In the future your children will ask, What do these stones mean? Then you will tell them. They remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the ark of the Lord's covenant went across. These stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever. This is quite a story that we are looking at today. It's a story that is one of those stories that the Hebrews have been telling for years. Ever since the very beginning of time, we human beings have had this tendency to to build memorials or to build statues that would be monuments to, to the things that we think are important in life. But what's interesting about most of those monuments is that after a few years, most people don't pay any attention to them. Unless it's something really big and truly important, like the Lincoln Memorial or the Washington Monument, we tend to forget the things that we have put up to remind ourselves of what has gone on in the past. For instance, if you go down to my hometown of Calhoun, Georgia, you'll notice that there are stone monuments all over that town to Confederate soldiers and to Cherokee Indian chiefs. South didn't like losing the Civil War, so they glorified their pro-slavery war heroes with statues. And Calhoun was really proud of the fact that New Echota was the original capital of the Cherokee Nation. New Echota sits just outside the town limits of Calhoun, and it was the place where the Cherokee alphabet was originally created, and it was the site of the first ongoing newspaper that was published by Native Americans. It was called the Cherokee Phoenix. Today if you go to New Echota, which is now a state park, you can see all kinds of things there. The entire town has been restored. That was once a, a Cher- the Cherokee capital. You can find Cherokee artifacts there. You can find Cherokee history there. The only thing that you can't find there are Cherokee Indians. The white people wanted the Cherokee people's land and they especially wanted it after they discovered gold on their land in 1829. And so the white people rounded up the Cherokee and they marched them off to Oklahoma in the Trail of Tears. Almost 5,000 Cherokee Indians died on that death march and most of them were elderly people or young mothers and babies. Most of those people were people who were utterly defenseless and yet they died on that Trail of Tears. The Trail of Tears is one of the most horrific chapters in American history, and it's a chapter that we don't like talking about. So my hometown in the state of Georgia restored the Cherokee capital because it brings in tourist dollars, and there are statues to Cherokee Indians all over our town, but almost nobody ever tells the story of what really happened with the Cherokee about the only people who notice. Those statues are the tourists who come to town. Most of the people in Calhoun drive by those monuments without ever noticing that they're there because they're just part of the landscape. They've been there for years. You, you don't pay any attention to them, I don't pay any attention to them when I, went back, when I go back home because they've always been there. Let me give you another example. And this one's a little funnier than the first one. Back several years ago, Susan and I went on a trip to Ireland, and one of the things that we saw there was this giant monument that stood on the side of a hill that overlooked this beautiful farm. As we were riding along, the bus driver pointed out this 50-foot monument that was there on the hill, and he said, that monument on the left was erected over 100 years ago by the man who owned this land, and it's a monument to himself. He never did anything important. He's not an Irish hero, but he had a giant ego, and so he put up this 50-foot monument, and he put every thought he ever had and everything he ever did, he carved it on the four sides of that thing. Nobody knows who he was. Nobody cares who he was. Nobody pays any attention to that monument, but that monument is known around here as the ego stone. It's known as the ego stone because it's a monument to one man's foolishness and his giant ego. Then the bus driver kind of laughed and he said, when I die I want a stone about the size of this driver's seat and I want it to say, here lies Connor. He drove a bus and he liked it. I don't think I'll ever forget that particular story. Connor wanted a memorial stone that was short, it was sweet, it was simple, and it was to the point just like my sermons. Yeah, right. (laughs) This passage of Scripture that we're looking at today is a lot like Connor's tombstone. God wanted the Hebrew people to remember forever that they had a future and that they had been given a promised land, that God had intervened on their behalf to make sure that they were going to have what He had always wanted them to have. But what's interesting is When God told Joshua to build a monument to the mighty acts of God, he didn't tell him to build a grand temple in Jerusalem. He didn't tell him to build a 50-foot marble statue with the story carved on the sides of it. What God wanted Joshua to build was a pile of rocks. This story that we're looking at today is one of the most important stories in Hebrew history. And the reason that it is so important is because the Hebrews had been taking this journey with God for 40 years. God brought them out of slavery and He took them right up to the edge of the promised land. And then He gave them the opportunity to go in and claim that promised land for themselves. It was a gift that was being given to them by the Lord Himself. In other words, the only thing the Hebrew people had to do in this situation was trust God for their inheritance and start walking. They needed to trust God when he said, this is your promised land. They needed to trust God to keep his word. They, They needed to believe that God was stronger than any enemy that they were going to face in their lives. This dream they were supposed to be chasing was God's dream. This wasn't their dream. The Hebrew people were sitting around dreaming about a promised land. These people were supposed to be claiming God's dream. They were supposed to be claiming God's promise. And they were supposed to have faith that God wouldn't make a promise that He wouldn't keep. God brought those people out of, slave, out of Egypt. He, he brought them out of slavery. He parted the Red Sea for them. He, he set their feet in, in Israel itself. He destroyed Pharaoh's armies. And then he took the Israelites right up to the edge of that land he wanted to give them. And then... God told them to go conquer that land in the name of God and He would give them the power to do it. And this was a powerful God. They had seen God's power. They saw the plagues that God sent against the Egyptians. They saw the waters part when they came to the Red Sea and they walked across some dry land to get to the other side. They knew that their God was powerful and that He could accomplish anything that they wanted to accomplish. They had seen it with their own eyes. They knew that God had a great dream for the Hebrew people and that He wanted them to experience that dream as they journeyed. Every condition was right for the Israelites to claim the future that God wanted to give them. But when it came time for them to step out on faith, they got scared and they said no. And the reason they said no It's because those Hebrew people were still slaves in their minds. They were slaves to their worries. They were slaves to their fears. They were slaves to their small dreams. They were slaves to their their quest for predictability. They were slaves to the way things had always been. They were slaves to their own sin. And believe me, folks, sin is a lot more than what we usually think of when we hear that word. It's a lot more than adultery or fornication or murder or greed or lust or pride or whatever it is that comes to mind when we think of that word. The sin that the Hebrews were committing in this this story was the worst sin that one could commit. They tried to separate themselves from God. They gave up on their faith. They became afraid, and they started focusing on how small they felt in the face of the problems they were having to deal with. And when they started focusing on how small they felt, when they became afraid, that's when they committed the sin of refusing to remember that God was bigger than their problems and that God believed in them. 1 John 4, 4 says, You belong to God, my children, so you have already won the victory over evil. For greater is he who is in me than he, than thee, than he who is in the world. Matthew 19, 26, With God it is impossible, but with... <laughs> no, that's not what it says at all. It says, With people it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Please try to remember that one. Yeah. <laughs> Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We can do anything that God dreams of us doing as long as we don't allow ourselves to become slaves of ordinary thinking. And that is a danger for any church anywhere, any group of people anywhere, any individual anywhere. When you become a slave to ordinary thinking... Then you're going to be a person who's going to struggle for the kind of future that God wants you to have. We're going to struggle as a church for the kind of future that God wants our church to have. It is a dangerous thing when you become a slave to ordinary thinking. And that, friends, is exactly what separated Joshua and the new generation of Hebrews from that generation of slaves that came out of Egypt. Those slaves absolutely refused to let God set their minds free of ordinary thinking so God had to take those people on a 40-year journey in the wilderness until a new generation could be raised up who would see themselves as part of God's plan for the future and that's what's happening in this passage of scripture that we're looking at today There's a new generation of Hebrews, and it's being led by Joshua. They've gone back to the promised land, and God is telling them, Cross the Jordan River and trust me to handle your problems. Joshua 3 14 through 16. So the people left their camp to cross the Jordan, and the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. It was the harvest season, and the Jordan was overflowing its banks. But as soon as the feet of the priests touched the water at the river's edge, the water above that point began backing up a great distance away at a town called Adam. And the water below it flowed on to the Dead Sea until the riverbed was dry. Then all the people crossed over near the town of Jericho. There are five things that you need to notice about this passage of Scripture. Number one, Joshua told, uh, God told Joshua to take these people into the promised land. Number two, God never said that they wouldn't have problems. There was a river and the river was overflowing. The snow was melting in the mountains of Lebanon and because it was springtime and, and the, the valley that they were standing in was flooding from a great distance from the river. In other words, God was taking the Hebrew people into the promised land at the worst possible time of the year for them to be going there. Number three, this new generation did not focus on the problems. They focused on God's promise and they trusted it. Number four, the Hebrews started marching even when the river was still an insurmountable obstacle. And number five, God honored their faith and He dried up their problems. And then When they were on the other side of the Jordan River, when they had claimed the promise that God had always wanted to give them, that's when God gave Joshua this message. Go into the middle of the Jordan in front of the ark of the Lord your God. Each of you must pick up one stone, 12 in all, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. We will use these stones to build a memorial. In the future your children will ask, What do these stones mean? And then you can tell them, They remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the ark of the Lord's covenant went across. These stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel to the mighty acts of God. God wanted Joshua and the Hebrews to build a memorial to the day that God kept His promise to His people. But it wasn't going to be a temple and it wasn't going to be a 50-foot-tall monument. It was going to be a pile of rocks that would make people ask a very simple question, what's this all about? And when they asked that question, it was going to be the people's job to tell the story of how God... Took those people on a journey that gave them a future with hope, even when everything looked hopeless, even when everything looked impossible. Those people were supposed to tell the story of how God had confidence in them, even when they did not have confidence in God. They were supposed to tell the story of how God had a dream for His people that was bigger than their weaknesses that God had a dream for His people that was bigger than any fear that they would ever have in their lives. They were supposed to tell what they were thankful for when they got to the other side. Those 12 stones piled up by the river were there for three reasons. They were there to make the younger generation ask questions. They were there to remind the older generation to tell the story of what God had done for His people. And they were there to remind everybody that even in the most difficult of circumstances, there's always something to be thankful for, and we need to give thanks for it. Maurice Henry was released from prison when he was 65 years old. He'd been in prison for murder from the time he was 22 years old. And from the day he was arrested, Maurice had been insisting that he was innocent. But most people didn't pay any attention to that because just about everybody who's in prison insists that they're innocent. Maurice had spent 16,004 days in prison and he'd still be there until this day if it hadn't been for the Innocence Project. They took up his case. They filed four appeals before a judge finally ordered the state to test the evidence that they had in storage for Maurice's DNA. When they tested it, it proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that Maurice was indeed innocent, that he had nothing to do with that murder that he had been in prison for for 40 years. Most people would have been bitter and angry if they had spent 16,000 days in prison for something that they didn't do. But when Maurice came out of that prison, he walked out into the open and he looked up at a very blue and beautiful sky. And he raised his hands up toward the sky and he started singing, God is so good. God is so good. God is so good. He's so good to me. A news reporter asked him why he sang. They asked him why he wasn't bitter over what had happened. Maury said, I was bitter when I started toward that gate, but then when I walked out, I saw that beautiful sky. And right then I realized that there wasn't any razor wire anymore between me and that sky. There wasn't anything That was keeping me from being free. And when I did, I realized God had been with me all the way. So I had to give him thanks and praise for all he had done. This coming Thursday is Thanksgiving. What do we have to be thankful for this week? What is there in our lives that... That reminds us of our blessings. What has God done for us that we need to be telling people about? What has God done for us that ought to stir a song of praise in our hearts? What is there in our lives that's precious that we need to give give thanks for? What I suggest today is that we pile a few stones on our hearts this week. Stones that will remind us of our blessings. And then let's take time to give thanks and let's make a pledge to tell the story of what Jesus has done for all of us, what Jesus has done for our church, of what Jesus has done in our lives. Let's make a pledge to give thanks and tell the story because ours is a wonderful story just like the story of the Hebrew people. And we get to be part Of a life that god has given us that we may not deserve this is the day that the lord has made let us give thanks let's pray together lord hear our prayer as we gather in this place you took the hebrew people to the new promised land you gave them a dream they didn't even have you gave them a hope that they had never thought about claiming and you gave them the power to go claim it help us O Lord to remember the blessings that have come our way help us to remember the gifts that you have offered us day in and day out help us to be thankful for the lives that we've been given and for the blessings that have come to us help us Lord to be the people of God Amen. Now may the Lord bless and keep you and make His face to shine upon you and give you peace this day and every day, now and forevermore. Amen. Happy Thanksgiving.